Hello, welcome to Riot Act, the alternative music podcast. I'm Stephen Hill, and he's a Renfrey Deadman. That's how it works, usually. Hello. Yes, that's exactly how it works uh, all the time, mm. I believe. But yeah. Well, I, I did an interview the other day. You weren't there. So. Oh, but yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, sorry to be a pedant. <laughs> um, thanks very much for tuning in to this podcast. This is one of our two-part classic album series podcasts. If you go over to our Patreon page on patreon.com forward slash Riot Act podcast, you will see the second part of this podcast, which we haven't actually recorded yet, which is an odd thing Scary. odd thing to say, isn't it? Yeah, yeah but it, it, it will be there if you're listening to this. Um, over on our Patreon page, you can sign up for £5 a month and you will get access to two exclusive classic album podcasts one chosen by myself one chosen by Renfrey and a Rioters review which you as a patron can pick as well so um go over there and have a little look and hopefully if you think it's worth it you'll sign up and enjoy some exclusive content and the reason why I've said this is because we're putting the first part of this out free just to be nice just to just to be nice guys just to be good good upstanding citizens yeah, where so you know, often in this classic album series, uh, an artist will come along where we think we might as well do a pair of records because they're very, very difficult to separate. Yes, we've done that with the Manic Street Preachers and Lamb of God and Depeche Mode and Radiohead. Any Radiohead? So we've done it with a fair few artists already. This is Renfrey's pick this particular week. And he has decided to talk about, unbelievably, a 13-month period, essentially, in the existence yeah. of the band Pixies. Um, we're doing Surfer Rosa, their 1988 debut album, which was first released on the 21st of March, 1988. And as I said, if you pop over after you've listened to this to patreon.com forward slash right act, you can hear us chatting about his follow-up, Doolittle. Mm. Um, but... This is where I kind of hand over the reins of the podcast to Renfrey, as it is your pick. Yeah. I have to say, Doolittle probably would have been one of my picks at some point anyway. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Um, not that I'm not excited about talking about Surfer Rosa as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, off you go, Renfrey. Okay. The Pixies. So let's begin. Um, let's go right from the beginning. And let's also, I'm going to talk, talk to you, dear listener, as if uh, you know very little about Pixies. Um to, because I think it's important to get all the details right to explain just why this band was so revelatory. Um, Pixies are one of the most revered bands among musicians in modern rock history. Um, and I thought I'd start this whole thing off by um, getting a few choice quotes from some of the most revered artists and explaining uh, what they thought the Pixies magic was. Um, Nirvana's Kurt Cobain... Uh, let's start at the obvious place. Uh, mm. Cited Surfer Rosa as the basis for Nevermind's songwriting. When he first heard the album, Cobain discovered a template for the mix of heavy noise and pop he was aiming to achieve. He remarked in 1992 that he heard songs off of Surfer Rosa that I'd written but threw out because I was too afraid to play them for anybody. Cobain hired Steve Albini to, to, to produce Nirvana's 1993 album In Utero, primarily due to his work on Surfer Rosa. He also listed the album as one of the top 50 albums he thought were most influential to Nirvana's sound in his journal in 1993. Then we got the Smashing Pumpkins' Billy Corgan described Surfer Rosa as the one that made me go, holy shit. <laughs> can't imagine Billy Corgan saying holy shit. Yes. <laughs> it was so fresh, it rocked without being lame. 
Uh, Corgan was impressed by the album's drum sound and acknowledged that the Smashing Pumpkins used to study the record for its technical elements. PJ Harvey said that Surfer Rosa blew my mind and that she immediately went to track down Steve Albini upon hearing it, who produced Harvey's sophomore album, Rid of Me, another great record. Tom York said it that said that it was R.E.M. and Pixies that changed his life. I just thought Surfer Rosa was the sexiest record I'd ever heard. Mm. And the way the drums sounded on that record, on the base of it, Surfer Rosa is like a horror record. It's really violent and sexy, apparently. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, David Bowie said Pixies were just about the most compelling music outside of Sonic Youth in the entire 80s. Wow. Three elements, I think, made them important as a sound band. One was pure dynamics, the very obvious now, but not obvious at the time dynamic of keeping the verse extremely quiet and then it erupting into a blazing noise for the chorus. The second element was the interesting juxtapositions that Charles brought together of quite sordid material at times. Charles's lyrics were actually dealt with common or garden subjects, but the permutations that he created within the different subjects that he dealt with were so unusual that it caught my ear immediately. It was the sense of imagination, and I use imagination not not lightly, not in terms of it being a fantasy, which most people define imagination as, but being able to understand the affinities of something and have those affinities illuminate the subject. It's done so effortlessly. It's done with such a sense of fun and enthusiasm. There's a great sense of humour underlying everything that Charles does. And the third one is the colours that Santiago provides as a guitarist. I think as a guitar player, he's terribly underrated. It's much more about texture. He supplies extraordinary texture. They changed the format for delivering harder rock. I don't think that formula really existed before they came along. Thank you, Mr. Bowie. The temptation mm. to do that in a David Bowie voice. But I decided it's too early in the morning. Yeah. Um, and I think that's the key. They created a brand new formula for hard rock music. Pixies were one of a handful of bands that were unknowingly shaping the future of alternative rock. And that they did it so effortlessly as well is just astonishing the band confronting almost no barriers on their way to success apart from the ones created themselves, which eventually eventually caused the band to implode just seven years after they first formed. Mm. Um, so, yeah, the initial run of the Pixies was uh, 1986 to 1993 when they initially split up and they did four albums at that time, an EP, uh, there was an unreleased demo, a whole bunch of B-sides. I mean, everyth- everything that made this band revered, they they basically did between 87 and 91, which is pretty mad. It's pretty crazy, though, isn't it? Yeah. Um, I think if you combine the death of Pixies and the sex of Jane's Addiction, you essentially have a formula for alternative rock that has remained unchanged in 30 years. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Any disagreements yeah. or anything to add to that? Um, well, I guess alternative rock or alternative music really has changed mm. quite significantly over the last decade, really. Mm, mm. And I think to, those two things that you just mentioned are less prevalent as, and it's a failing of alternative rock. Mm that those things are less prevalent because what we're getting really now is people being inspired by shit like 
latter day period green day and <laughs> you know um corporate uh, major label quote-unquote punk rock mm. um and that is not this at all but there's a whole bunch of great bands that we talk about all the time who um delve back to that thing i mean i think nothing yeah. do it really well i think um cult dreams do it really well i think uh oh god uh narrow head um mm-hmm. hum um not, hum were not, around not a new time. band but still yeah. um you know there's lots and lots of bands that we do talk about. even dinosaur pileup i mean dinosaur mm-hmm. pileup i saw dinosaur did i see dinosaur pileup supporting pixies supporting Weezer you you're said. absolutely right it was supporting Weezer um but uh yeah I think I think there are oh Dirty Nil there's still plenty mm-hmm. of bands who are using that I mean as a template even even bands like Nervous I Nervous, think yeah would would be you know who are much more thought of as one of those like skate punk alkaline trio um inspired bands I mean that really I suppose we'll sort of talk about the similarities between those things but yeah pixies and jane's addiction are a massive like part of all of that stuff yeah definitely yeah. anything good basically i think when i'm talking about ah uh, well you know it's not so much anymore um what i'm talking about is when fucking Mall- mallory Knox and you me at six and those kind of bands have neither of those things and that's why this music's shit now <laughs> <laughs> or uh, their music's shit i should say uh yeah so over the next four hours we're going to be holding a microscope under two of the most influential albums of modern times um they're so so influential and yet at the same time it's really difficult pixies are an incredibly difficult band to ape um i've spoken about this before with glassjaw trying desperately trying to find another band that really did what Glassjaw did for me and finding another band that are sort of as quirky and weird without trying to be quirky and weird as Pixies is almost impossible the only band who've even got close for me is probably Carsey Headrest um I'm sure there are there probably are other examples, but in terms of actually actually capturing, there's there's loads of bands who took the dynamics that Pixies created, but very few captured the the whole package that Pixies delivered. I think Nirvana, surely Nirvana. I don't know if I would agree with Nirvana. I don't think Nirvana. I think Nirvana. I mean, at the end of the day. I don't like I don't want to use this against him but at the end of the day Kurt Cobain was a very pretty guy. Um there's um there's a quote coming later in this piece where um someone talks about the members of Pixies looking like plasterers like <laughs> the most yeah. ordinary boring looking people. Um you know and again that's not that's not an insult to them either but there there was no there was no image and there was no look at all and with nirvana i'd say it was like there was a tiny microcosm of an image you know yeah i get well, yeah i guess so i guess so i, I think was thinking it, more of music musically i think they get cuz shit like nirvana do have a sense of humor whether people like to say yeah. it, admit it or not yeah definitely um so yeah and i and i think that they were just as kind of acerbic and unusual 
as Pixies. But obviously, they they are still very, very different bands. But I think that thing you were talking about, I think Nirvana were... I mean, if the only other band that's captured that thing that you're talking about is Nirvana, hmm. that's not a bad club to be in, is it? No, 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 not at all. I mean, I, I personally think... I definitely agree, Nirvana. I think Nirvana are more acerbic than Pixies generally, uh, yeah. if anything. Um, I don't know if they're as unusual don't know if i would go with that i think um pixies are pretty unusual band really they're just dressed up in a lot of pop but you know slicing up eyeballs (laughs) i mean i mean kurt cobain had his moments but i'm not sure if they're quite the same level of surrealism Mm. pixies are a surreal band he definitely gave it a good go he gave it a go but it's okay to eat fish because they don't have any feeling, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I think that's he gave know. he gave it a go, but I don't think it was quite the same level, you know, personally. Um, so if we go into the formation of Pixies, guitarist Joey Santiago and songwriter Black Francis, he was born Charles Michael Kitteridge Thompson the Fourth. Very British name, isn't it? It's, it is very British. Um, well, I'll be referring to him either as Charles or Black Francis through, throughout most of this because he also has the name Frank okay. Black as well. Fucking hell, it gets confusing. Um, so Joey Santiago and Black Francis met when they lived next to each other in a suite while attending the University of Massachusetts in Amherst. Santiago noticed that Francis played music and the pair began to jam together. Francis embarked on a student exchange trip to Puerto Rico for six months, where he developed an affinity for the Spanish language. He wrote a letter to Joey urging him to drop out and join him in a band upon his return. The pair formed that band in January 1986. Two weeks later, Francis placed an advert seeking a bass player who liked both the folk act Peter, Paul and Mary and the alternative rock band Husker Du. It's actually quite a good summation. Yeah, it is actually, yeah. <laughs> Uh, Kim Deal was the only respondent and arrived at the audition without a bass as she had never played one before. She was invited to join as she liked the songs Francis showed her. She obtained a bass and the trio started rehearsing in Deal's apartment. What a way to start a band. It's fucking mad, isn't it? Yeah. Anyway. After recruiting... And that's January 1986. Like, within two years, this album was recorded. Yeah. Yeah. It's fucking nuts. Yeah, it was released within two years and two months. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, crazy. Um, this is what I mean by they they came they came up against very little opposition. Um, I, I, I and part of the reason why Pixies were able to do so much and so little is because they worked their asses off and they wrote so many songs so quickly they just shat them out. But the other thing is they came up against very very little opposition. You know, people were willing to sign them quite quickly and they got a deal quite quickly and all this sort of thing and. People responded to them very well, very positively everywhere, bar the United States, basically. But we'll get into that later. Um, After recruiting Deal, Kim paid for her sister, Kelly Deal, to fly to Boston and audition as drummer. Though Francis approved, Kelly was not confident in her drumming and was more interested in playing songs written by Kim. She later joined Kim's band, The Breeders. It's an interesting little fact. I didn't actually know Mm -hmm. that before this, but yeah. Did you know what about her drumming or that she was in the about breeders? about Kelly auditioned to? Oh no, I know I didn't know that either. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Kim's husband suggested they hire David Lovering, whom Kim had met at her wedding reception. 
and Pixies were born. Um, so I wanted to talk a little bit about Come On Pilgrim um, before we get full on into Surfer Rosa. Now, a big part of the reason I want to talk about Come On Pilgrim is I just admitted to Steve just before we started recording this. I grew up with an amalgamate of Surfer Rosa and Come On Pilgrim as one big uber album. So I actually can't separate the two or I, I haven't been able to separate the two until I've been doing research for this in my mind because they are just basically one massive super album, uh, which has Famos on it twice for some reason. Um, but there are certain songs on Come On Pilgrim. I mean, the Holiday song might be one of my favourite Pixie songs ever. Um, and in terms of quality, it is right up there with, like, it's just a smidgen below Surfer Rosa, I would say. So I think it's well worth talking mm. about. Yeah. Um, while the Pixies were playing a concert with Throwing Muses, they were noticed by producer Gary Smith, the manager of Fort Apache Studios. He told the band he could not sleep until you guys are world famous. <laughs> the band produced a 17-track demo at Ford Apache soon afterwards, known to fans as the Purple Tape because of the tape's co tape cover's purple background. Funded by Francis's father at the cost of $1,000. The recording session was completed in three days. 17 songs in three days. It's fucking mad. Fucking hell. Local promoter Ken Goes became the band's manager and he passed the demo to Ivo Watts Russell of the independent record label 4AD. Watts Russell nearly passed on the band, finding them too normal, but signed them after asking his girlfriend whether he should. Her response. Mate, what's he listening to? <laughs> yeah, I know. Her response: Don't be so fucking stupid. We have to do it. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> um, upon signing with 4AD, eight tracks from the Purple Tape were selected for the Come On Pilgrim mini LP, the Pixies' first release. Francis drew upon his experiences in Puerto Rico, mostly in the songs "Vamos" and "Aldi and Canta," which describes the poverty in Puerto Rico. The religious lyrics on Come On Pilgrim and later albums came from his parents' born-again Christian days in the Pentecostal church. There are also themes of sexual frustration, such as on I've Been Tired, and incest, Nimrod's son, and the holiday song on the record. Lovely stuff. Um, purple tape songs that didn't make the cut on to Come On Pilgrim, Pilgrim include Broken Face, Build High, Break My Body, and I'm Amazed, which all appeared on Ooh. Surfer Rosa. Mm. Mm. Uh, in a re-recorded form, I should say. Uh, in Heaven, Lady in the Radiator Song, which is a reference to a razor head. Um, and Francis's love of David Lynch. We'll get onto that a little bit later. Rocker My Soul, which was an early track that was never released elsewhere. It's quite good, though. Subaculture, which would eventually resurface on their fourth album, Trompe Le Monde, the final one before their breakup. Uh, and there was also a very early version of Here Comes Your Man, which had a very different arrangement to the version we're familiar with on Doolittle. Um, there was quite a lot of reluctance to do Here Comes Your Man because it was too pop. There was something that was too straight about it. The band referred to it as the Tom Petty song, uh, <laughs> which does make sense, actually. Paul Calderoy, who was at Fort Apache Studios for those initial recording sessions, claims that they also had a version of Dig for Fire that they were messing around with but never recorded. That later ended up on Bossa Nova, their third album. Calderoy said, They didn't really write much after the initial burst of about a year where they wrote just about everything they did. If that's true, isn't that fucking astonishing? Yeah, it's pretty <laughs> mad, that. I did... I did 
I did hear that that was sort of the case. I mean, I wasn't too sure how my I was under the impression that kind of everything around this time for the first two albums, so everything for Surfer Rose and Doolittle was written. Um, and maybe there was a few left over for Bossa Nova, but I didn't really know that it was basically most stuff was written all at the very, very, very birth of the band. That is... That's crazy. I remember when picking up my copy of the Purple Tape, because you can get it. They released it in 2002 on CD. So the songs that didn't make it onto Come On Pilgrim, basically. Um, just being shocked that there was an early version of Subculture on there, which is one of my favourite Pixie songs, but, you know, wouldn't emerge on a record properly for another five years um, mm. and stuff like that. Um, I mean, certainly when Pixies first came over with Throwing Muses, they were already playing Hey!, um i've got a uh i've got a gig of theirs at the town and country club which is actually the forum um where they play hay i think they might have been ending with tame as well um they certainly yeah they certainly wrote a shitload of their stuff i mean let's let's assume that cold roy's over exaggerating a little bit when he says that they basically wrote everything in the first year but you know yeah i think they wrote a lot of amazing oh, it songs. sounds like it yeah, yeah. and subculture dig for fire here comes your man i mean those are some shit hot songs that they're just like putting aside there and going no no no, we won't do that one we'll do that another time you know i mean to have that amount of brilliant songs coming out of you at that time it must have been quite an exciting thing you know mm. to experience and be around yeah for sure um i think this is a good point to ask um can you remember what well first of all can you remember when you first heard the pixies but also can you imagine what it felt do you remember what it felt like the first time you heard pixies was it was it a momentous occasion in any way was it a like oh my god this band are crazy was it i I have delved that back into the recesses of my mind to try and think of when I first heard this band. Um, and I'll be honest with you, I actually can't. Um, okay. Just like I can't remember the first time I heard Nirvana. They right. were just sort of there. Right, right, right. They were always just sort of there. I know it would have been Lithium or Smells Like Teen Spirit would have been the first thing that I heard, but I don't know when. But anyway, um, <clears throat> Pixies, by the time I was getting into rock music, were, were gone. You know, they yeah. were they were a long, band long who Yeah, quite quite long gone, yeah. Um and yet every time I picked up a magazine that had the most influential this or the best singles of that, or you would inevitably see Surfer Rosa, Do Little, yeah. um uh, Debaser, um, whereas my mind on these lists all the time. So I was just kind of aware of them Mm. as being an influence a bit like i guess you know it certainly was in that first rush of a tape the tape trading time that i had with my friends in the sort of last couple of years of being at school where you'd see someone wearing a sonic youth t-shirt and they'd be part and people would be passing cds around and we'd all kind of swap and tape each other's albums and something like that somebody gave me so that would have been it probably i think somebody gave me do little and i 
I had heard Debaser. I think Debaser had been played at. They would have a bit of a period where, like, at the, at the school disco or something, they'd have like ten. They'd play like twenty minutes, half an hour of rock songs. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And somebody played Debaser once. I remember that it would be like come out and play, um, Basket Case, Smells Like Teen Spirit, Live Forever, Girls and Boys, Debaser, Give It Away, and then you know like Big Me or something by the Foo Fighters, and that would be our little bit. And it, but it would sort of they switch it up a little bit every kind of couple of weeks. And I remember they played Debaser, and I was like, I don't think I know what this song is, and I thought it was Nirvana. Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> i was like oh it must be a nirvana song and for ages i was like oh yeah it's nirvana that song and it wasn't obviously it was the pixies i don't actually remember the first time i sat down and heard it but i'm pretty sure somebody would have given me a tape either a mixtape or do little in full and i listened to that and they just became one of those bands who everybody knew i probably knew about them mm. more than i listen to them at first mm, mm. it took me a few years before i actually went and bought the records in okay. fact this album surfer rosa i don't think i owned surfer rosa until my dad bought it for me on vinyl a couple of years ago i had a tape copy of it oh, right. and i had it on and then I, I had it on my ipad on my my ipad my uh, ipod when i went and burned a load of shit off nicked a load of songs off my mate's itunes and i put it on my 80 gig ipod and those two, I've, so I'd never bought it right. until I got given it as a gift about three years ago. What a so, lovely gift. It was a lovely gift. Um, so, yeah, I, I think, you know, it's um, they're one of those bands who, like I say, they were gone. And we were sort of, and I think we were kind of used to the sound of those type of things that become a lot more commonplace. So I'm not sure yeah. I ever got the full impact of like, oh, my God, I can't believe this sounds like this until yeah uh, you go back and actually sort of examine it which we have done for, for this that's the difficult thing isn't it and that's the thing that like there is a there is a part of me there's a brilliant channel Four documentary on pixies called gouge which came out around just prior to the reunion i think maybe just after the reunion i can't remember but yeah and it's a fantastic channel four documentary and a lot of the quotes that i got from the those big you know tom york david bowie etc etc was from that documentary and the the sort of reverence that they look back at when they think about when they first heard the pixies they're just so in awe and so in shock of kind of like it was just so different i just never heard anything like that and I do kind of, um, I'm kind of jealous that I never got got to have that. I guess I probably did at some point. But then even then, because that music was far more omnipresent to me in, I don't know, 1990 than it was in 1980, maybe I wouldn't have. I, I, I do distinctly remember first hearing Smells Like Teen Spirit and being like, fucking hell, you know. Mm. But um in terms of me getting into this band, it was actually... So the last band I was in um, prior to leaving for drama school, Monster in the Park. Shout out, boys. Um, <laughs> so they were all a year older than me. And there was this whole thing of me kind of like looking up to them because, you know, at that age, a year older is like a lifetime. Um, yeah, yeah. And, uh, yeah, my taste um, expanded quite a lot 
um, during that time. But I think the band that they got me into that had the most impact on my life was probably Pixies. Uh, and I can't remember why it came up, but they came up and I was like, oh, I've never actually listened to them. And all three of the members of this band were just like, whoa, are you kidding? Oh my God, they're amazing, blah, blah, blah. And started like throwing out songs that I needed to listen to and albums and so on and so forth. And I remember I ordered Doolittle. This is like the early days of Amazon. I think I ordered it from Amazon, but it, it took fucking ages to come. It's not like this fucking order it at 2 p.m. and you get it at 8 p.m. thing that we have today. It took like three or four weeks and I remember the guys had been so excited in practice, the way that they talked about them. And I think this is the thing that I see with Pixies all the time. When you see people talk about them, they kind of glaze over and they're just like, oh my God, they're just so, they're so weird. And there's such an amazing amalgam of 60s folk and surf guitar and rockabilly and wild evangelical full-throated banshee like wailing <laughs> you know like it's just such it's such a combustible strange mix that i think people really kind of get get hypnotized by it in a strange way um so i was really desperate to hear this record like really desperate to hear it and i popped to hmv in the interim um and i noticed that they had pixies at the bbc which was now i didn't even know existed uh, really cheap, like something like six ninety nine, which back then was, as you know, gold mine. That is cheap. We gold can mine. confirm, young young people, <laughs> that six ninety nine, which is slightly less than a month of Spotify and every song ever made these days. Six ninety nine for those what like eleven songs yeah. was actually quite a good deal. Back yeah, then. I think well because it's Pixies, I think it was fifteen. But I do remember the first thing I noticed. I put it in, and it was only just over half an hour long, so I already felt cheated. Um, <laughs> So Pixies at the BBC ended up being the first thing that I ever heard. And it was a, a, a bunch of John Peel sessions, uh, effectively. The first song I ever heard was their cover of Wild Honey Pie by the Beatles. I don't know if you've ever heard that cover. I don't know that I have, actually, no. It's just Black Francis screaming the whole lyrics. I mean, it was it was bizarre. It was like, whoa. And I put it on in the car on the way back. Um, from HMV and I said to my mum do you mind if I just put this on she's like what is it I said I don't know but the first the first song's a cover of the Beatles and she was like oh okay well that's fine and then and then it's just you know Black Francis screaming wild honey pie <laughs> and she was like are you sure this is the Beatles I said it's on the liner notes <laughs> <laughs> um so yeah, and then I got Doolittle uh, through a few weeks later and had already fallen in love with a lot of the songs from Doolittle um, mm. that are on that BBC session, uh, including There Goes My Gun, Tame, uh, Hey. Uh, I'll talk a lot about Hey later. Um, mm. But yeah, and then it just became a full... I think. I mean, I bought all four of their albums within a year. Like, you know, I was still in the band when I bought the last one. Um, so... Yeah, but that whole that whole jealousy of not being able to um, realise the true impact of the band, I think is quite a big thing. So I tried to get a few um, quotes from people who were there at the time who would give an impression of uh, what it must have been like. Uh, Rich Gilbert, who would later become guitarist in Frank Black and the Catholics, um, spoke about the first time he saw them 
They had a real unique sound. They already had their identity. They were just really good. It was that simple. They just looked like four people. But that was the thing about Boston. You didn't have to have a look. I just remember specifically that Joey had a little PV amp that he would sit on a chair. They didn't have a lot of gear and they would just get up and play. And then Charles could do these roars and those screams with his voice that were really dramatic. And Joey would slam his amp up against the back of the chair to make the reverb clang. That was really exciting. So Gary Smith, who was the producer for Come On Pilgrim, the Purple Tape, uh, spoke of Black Francis. He said he went to college and shaved in the morning. He had a pink cherub face from being a clean, blonde haired kid. And then he was screaming at the top of his lungs. And it wasn't like people screamed back then. People just didn't scream. People just didn't do that. And to see that happening, like some kind of scene from The Exorcist coming out of this fresh faced kid, it just made me stop dead. It is. Have you seen? You've seen Black Francis Scream, surely? Yeah, of course. It is a weird juxtaposition of this mm. like fresh faced Cheruby boy, especially back then when he actually was a fresh faced yeah. Cherub boy. And then this just glass gurgling scream comes out. It's absolutely brilliant. Uh, John Dolan, the senior associate editor of Spin magazine, there was a sense of being confrontationally unpretentious. Pixies had the angry mid-American noise thing, the goofy self-loathing of a Paul Westerberg, the poetic pop sense of a Huskadoo, but they also dabbled in artistic impulses that were more in line with Brit art sensibilities. This really forecasts a cross-pollination that would become alternative. I think that's a pretty way to sum, pretty good way to sum yeah, it up. Yeah. Uh, and then finally, Ted Miko, who's the former editor of Melody Maker. Chris Roberts from Melody Maker went off and did the first interview. The Pixies were fascinating people. I remember reading the interview and thinking, these guys are really strange. And then we looked at their pictures. You sell music magazines to a certain extent on glamour, definitive looks, something that's trenchant and eye-catching and pops off from the stands. And when we got the pictures of the Pixies, they were not exactly in that mould. In fact, they broke that mould. I remember having a massive row with the editor over it. There was a faction of the paper that thought it'd be a disaster to have people who looked like plasterers on a cover. And then there were those who thought this was the best thing to happen. Um, and again, it, it comes into that whole anti, uh, anti-image thing. Like they're just, they're just four people, you know? Um, and then these really crazy odd things come out of them and i think that makes the weirder aspects of pixies even weirder because it doesn't compute that such strange surrealist imagery is just coming out of these four very ordinary looking people um it's also something that in terms of what the guy was saying there for in the magazine world it's something that we still uh kind of wrestle with i guess isn't it in print in that kind of medium yeah in print and on television and yeah you know just people sort of needing to have uh, i mean i think particularly in metal where metal is <laughs> pitched somewhere between either you wacky crazy looking new metal dudes or yeah like just the most bog standard normal looking people or like you know glam musicians or whatever um it's really hard to try and get a band who are just a good band um, any kind on, of coverage. On, yeah, 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 yeah. You know? It, it, it really is. Um, I mean, when you get into the whole idea of, like, cover stars and stuff like that, I mean, the, the amount of thought and the amount of effort that goes into thinking about who is going to 
be an interesting enough cover star, but then at the same time sell enough copies as well. And sometimes you get artists that fulfill both of those criteria. Sometimes you get artists who only fulfill one of those criteria. Um, but it's a very difficult thing to do. There is nothing. I mean, Pixies as individual people, if you just look at them, there's nothing extraordinary about them at all. Nothing. Um, that said, there's an interesting um, dichotomy there because they are four very unique individual people. Mm-hmm. But they're just not very showy, I suppose. Yeah. Um, so let's get into Surfer Rosa. That's uh, what we're all here for. Common Pilgrim was followed by the Pixies' first full-length album, Surfer Rosa. The album was recorded by Steve Albini, who was hired by Watts Russell on the advice of a 4AD colleague and released in March 1988. Surfer Rosa contains many of the elements of Pixies' earlier output, including Spanish lyrics and references to Puerto Rico. It includes references to mutilation and voyeurism alongside experimental recording techniques and a distinctive drum sound. Pixies entered Q Division in December 1987, booking 10 working days of studio time in which to record the album. 4AD allocated the band a budget of $10,000. Albini's producer fee was $1,500. Interesting. The recording, mm. the recording process took the entire booked period of 10 working days to complete, with extra vocal mixes subsequently added in the studio. So 10 days to record this record that's not quite 17 songs in three days but it's still pretty impressive i mean it's quite a raw record um and it's quite well it's albini-esque isn't it i mean it sounds like um it sounds like he set up mics in a room and then pressed record to an extent um but it's still it's still i mean that's still a very very quick turnaround by any standards 13 songs in 10 days yeah yeah for sure um going into some of um steve albini's recording techniques which are very very interesting um during kim deal's vocal takes during where is my mind a gigantic albini moved the equipment to record into a studio bathroom to achieve more roomy echo um albini later said that the record could have been completed in a week but we ended up trying more experimental stuff basically to kill time and see if anything good materialized an example was something against you where Albini filtered Black Francis's vocal through a guitar amp for a totally ragged, vicious texture. Uh, mm. I mean, you can really hear that on something. Against yeah, you. you definitely can. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah you really can. Yeah. Um, I think the thing with Steve Albini is like he doesn't like to fake anything. So he doesn't really like to put like a digital reverb on, on there or anything like that. He'll try and achieve that effect in a natural way. I think that's a big part of his production style. Um, yeah. Uh, I mean, well, we spoke about Steve Albini quite a bit over the time we've been a podcast and our admiration for him. Um, this would be, I mean, I was about to say this, would this be the kind of definitive Steve Albini sounding records? I'm not sure it is. Um, it might be. I mean, there's, other things that he's done as an artist himself that I think sound really Steve Albini. But certainly if, if you were to say to someone, I've, or someone to say to you, like, oh, I've heard about this guy, Steve Albini, what exactly does he do? It's a pretty good record to give him in it. So it's for not, Rosa. Yeah, it's not a bad one at all. Not a bad one. Uh, actually, it's a very good one in lots of ways, I think. Um, 
Let's talk about some of the songs on Surfer Rosa. Um, do you want to go anywhere in particular first or should we start from the beginning? We can start wherever you like, mate. I'm quite happy to talk about all in any of it. Okay. Um, well, let's start with, I mean, that opening, I think that opening four of quite abrasive. Yeah. Uh, so you got Bone Machine, Break My Body, Something Against You and Broken Face. I got a broken face. Um, yeah. <laughs> just such kind of, they really come out of the gates. I mean, Something Against You is is like one of the heaviest things I've ever heard, I think, really, in a way. Even though the the riff's mm. quite jaunty in a way, it's like, but then it gets really yeah. heavy. Well, the, 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 all of them sound a bit, I mean, this is what I, I remember listening to. I'm, I, again, I think because ev- so many people have ripped off the Pixies so much, I think by the time I got around to actually hearing Surfer Rosa with years of Nirvana, Foo Fighters, curb dog yes i do put them to get therapy um you know sugar all that kind of stuff like yeah having had years of all that put it through my mind once i actually got through got this record i was like you know it's not as big a shock but certainly like the fact that bone machine is just sounds a bit like the riff sounds like it's being played slightly out of tune and they're deliberately kind of being yeah. like it's kind of like it's and it stops and you're like well that's not really very you, you're not helping yourselves by making a kind of big rock radio song if that's what your attempt was you you do it you're, you're deliberately sabotaging like broken face you're deliberately sabotaging yeah. any chance you had of getting this on on the on the radio that's not me being like oh it doesn't sound very good or or they've they've not recorded it very well i think they've recorded it exactly how they wanted it to to sound i think they've just deliberately gone well if you put that in people won't like it great do you know what i mean that's yeah. sometimes what i feel like that kind of um contrarian attitude that a lot of these artists had. I think those first four songs have a real contrarian spirit to all of them. Definitely. I really um, responded to what you're saying about Bow Machine. Bow Machine is such a weird song structurally. Mm. It stops mm. and starts and stops and starts and stops and has that little, your bow's got a little machine. And then goes into that awful, like, like it should be irritating, but it's not. Um, and like some of the lyrics on Bone Machine, some of my favourite Pixies lyrics. I was talking to a preachy preach about Kissy Kiss. He bought me a soda and he tried to molest me in the parking lot. <laughs> what the <laughs> fuck does that mean? <laughs> you know, like, and there's a real sense of humour as well. I think you're pretty. You make me hard. Your island skin looks Mexican. Our love is rice and beans and horses lard. <laughs> what does that even <laughs> fucking mean? And, you know, I mean... Black Francis talks about his lyrics quite a lot, basically saying they don't mean anything. Mm. <laughs> they don't mean anything. They're just cool words that sound good together. And when I'm trying to come up with words, I just do kind of monosyllabic vowels that sound good. And then I try and match a word to the sound. And it's pretty much that simple. Like for most, like some, some of, sometimes he's storytelling 
sometimes he is telling a, a short story, but it's almost done like in a like haiku kind of fashion. You know, there yeah. are there are many details in it, um, but it creates this really this sense of weirdness. But he's not trying to be weird. You know, sometimes you talk about like quirky, odd bands, and and it's all it. There's always there's sometimes this sense that they're trying too hard to be quirky. Mm. And Pixies manage to be quirky effortlessly. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. They do. Um, which I love. Um, the That kind of four song run is then broken, in a sense, in the most spectacular way with Gigantic, Kim Deal's first lead vocal. Uh, and a gigantic song. <laughs> I, think, I think this is when you go, oh, well, that thing I was saying of, they're doing that they're deliberately contrarians and they're deliberately sabotaging their own material is because they must have known if they can write a song like gigantic they know exactly what they're doing and i'm going to warn the listeners for people who haven't ever listened to this record before say you're thinking oh i've never worried about the pixies before or i've never gone in on them and maybe i should um you should obviously you should absolutely listen to this record uh i will warn you though that one listen to gigantic and it will be stuck in your head for the, a month minimum yeah talk about it you will be walk you will be walking around going gigantic gigantic endlessly yeah. for i would say a month minimum on one listen yeah guaranteed that is um, that is, so that's my medical warning as, doc, <laughs> as a doctor of music that is a warning to you that is going to happen just so just accept it as you go in just if you've never listened to it before you're getting that in your fucking head forever um have you seen pixies with kim deal no i haven't um seeing kim play the song is just such a brilliant moment she has such a she really comes alive on stage and she's just got such an incredible broad smile as she's singing it and she's singing it in a happy manner you know it's it's uh it's just oh, it's absolutely there's this kind of raw um girl next door appeal about kim deal and i think a lot of that comes through mm. people seeing her perform gigantic um it's just a brilliant pop song isn't it that's oh, amazing it's a brilliant Fuck, pop song fucking amazing yeah i never got to see pixies with kim dill um in fact actually i've only seen pixies once and it was them playing this album in full that's the only time i've ever seen them unbelievably at the roundhouse at the roundhouse yeah, yeah. uh shitter on my part <laughs> but you know <laughs> Um, it's actually an amazing trio, uh, this gigantic River Euphrates and Where Is My Mind. Now, obviously we'll talk about Where Is My Mind, but I really want to talk about River Euphrates because um, that line, that kind of lolloping hook, ride a tiger on a river Euphrates, ride a tiger, ride a tiger. So Bernard Manning doing, <laughs> doing guest vocals. <laughs> I just love it. It's so cool. It's really, really hooky and it goes round and round in your head. Uh, River Euphrates is such an underrated song in my mind. Mm. They re-recorded it 
as uh, as well as they re-recorded um river euphrates and gigantic and released them as singles um it's just a brilliant brilliant song kind of surprising that they didn't re-record where is my mind uh do you want to say your where is my mind thing now Oh, what? When you try your best and you don't <laughs> succeed. Yeah, um, that, the biggest risk, Fix You by Coldplay is surely the biggest rip-off of any song in history. Ripping off Where Is My Mind, isn't it? Surely. Has anything ever ripped off a song? I'm trying to think of songs that are obviously like, come on. Um, like Come As You Are by Nirvana and the riff from oh, 80s, 80s by Killing Joke is another like really, really blatant one. But the whole thing. The whole thing of Fix You is... I mean... Uh, you can literally sing Where Is My Mind over the top of it all the way through and it's exactly the same. I mean, Led Zeppelin ripped off almost entire yeah, songs yes. and tried to claim yeah. them as their own. Uh, yeah. But yes, yes, certainly. Well, it's the same chord progression, isn't it? Although mm. it is an interesting study in how you can make those four interesting... Uh, those four chords an interesting and unique um to you uh because whereas my mind and fix you are totally different songs really aren't they in the way that they're yeah. approached um whereas my mind is just such a weird odd song um he was inspired francis was inspired to write it after scuba diving in the caribbean or in the caribbean uh he later said he had this very small fish trying to chase me i don't know why i don't know too much about fish behavior (laughs) (laughs) i mean is this is where is my mind the definitive pixie song is that the main one you know when we were talking before about depeche mode and we were like you know enjoy the silence for every other big thing they've got where is my mind that surely is the big pixie song right um according to spotify it is way out in front three hundred and four thousand. no sorry three hundred four <laughs> million nine hundred ninety nine thousand two uh, nine nine hundred ninety two thousand eight hundred forty two plays fucking hell yeah on spotify and then the next wow it is like 200 million ahead of yeah here comes your man here comes your man yeah yeah um i mean bizarrely this song didn't jump out at me until and i think (laughs) here's old a and r man renfrey again (laughs) don't release that Don't don't release that. Don't release that. Release cactus. (laughs) (laughs) Release Tony's theme. (laughs) This is a song about a superhero named Tony. It's called Tony's theme. Um, That's my kid's impression. Um, Good. (laughs) uh, It didn't really stand out to me. I'm sure a lot of people my age will feel the same in some ways until seeing it on the end credits of Fight Club. I think that's what did for it. And I think actually this is what I mean, 14 years later. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we we were, I was talking to um, our good friend uh, Merlin, editor of Metal Hammer, Merlin Alderslade. And I was saying, oh, we're doing the Pixies today. And he was like, oh, cool. Well, yeah, I like the Pixies. He's like, but I'm not, I don't really know much about them. He's like, I saw them at Reading that year when they came back in 2005 and they were good. He's like, but we all just sort of stood there going, we don't really know. All we know is that song from Fight Club. Mm. And I think we'll probably get into the fact that they weren't really a big deal 
when you consider how big alternative rock became you know we've mentioned nirvana and green day and foo fighters and then you could chuck in pearl jam and stuff like that like pixies never they never got to that size when they were around they never got anywhere near being the same profile as those bands i mean not before the reunion no no where is my mind peaked in the uk singles chart apparently at 199 yeah but it's now gone on to sell 400,000 copies yeah yeah yeah, yeah. oh yeah and uh, pixies <sighs> i once i watched a dvd of uh one of the last shows pixies did in the uk at brixton academy and they were playing to a not sold out Brixton Academy. Yeah. And when they announced their reunion 11 years later, they sold the out, record, they, they broke the record and they sold out five nights at Brixton Academy in about two minutes or something. Yeah. Quickest ever time, I think. Yeah. I went I to think one of that, those shows. That, yeah, I couldn't get tickets for it. I tried, sort of half-heartedly tried. I say half-heartedly, like, I tried, basically. Mm. But it wasn't like... Ugh, I was never very good at getting tickets, to be honest. Um, that's another story. Uh, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I think you only have to look at the people that have covered this song as well. Um, yeah, go on. Placebo, yep. James Blunt. Um, some people I've never heard of before. I mean, Nada Surf, Toadies, Placebo, James Blunt are probably the, the biggest ones. Yeah. But... Uh, Coldplay as well. Um, Have they? I'm having that. Well, yeah, it's called Fix You. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, but there's, but, but yeah, but I mean, like, when you get James Blunt covering your song, yeah, that's yeah. A, and that's just before they reformed as well. So you can see why the, you know, like as as alternative rocks become massive and they've become the sort of godfathers of it, you can see why. You know, once they came back, it was such a big, you know, a big moment. Yeah. Oh, we'll get into all of that much, much later. Yeah, I'm sure we will. Um, but as a song, "Where Is My Mind" is, I think, is fucking, is brilliant. Oh, it's no, insane! It, it's another one where you just go. I mean, I said it about "Enjoy the Silence," where you listen to "Violator" and you go, it seem it's a really easy thing to go. Oh, that's the best one because it's the biggest one. Um, I actually, I, I don't think Where's My Mind is the best song on this record, but I think Ooh. it stands out. I think it stands out a fucking mile in terms of like what's going to sound good played in front of lots of people, what's going to sound good on a movie soundtrack, what's going to sound good at a festival soundtrack. Um, you know, a festival soundtrack on a festival sort of main stage headlining set, what's going to sound good mm. what is going to be played as like the first dance at people's weddings or at mm -hmm. funerals or these sort of things it's got all that stuff that i don't think anything else on this album has got so it sort of stands out a fucking mile because of that um i hadn't actually thought about my favorite song on this record until you mentioned it then i have thought i, I know what it is for do little but i hadn't thought about it for this one uh I wanted to say the holiday song, but it's on Come On Pilgrim. So annoying. Can't but have it. <laughs> consider, considering the holiday song is null and void, I think I probably would say Where Is My Mind. I think it really? probably is my favourite. Yeah, I think it is mm. one of those definitive songs. We've talked about definitive songs which you get bored of. 
you know, yeah. never need to hear Sweet Child of Mine ever again, even though you'll acknowledge it's a great song. Um, I don't get bored of Where's My Mind ever. No, me neither, actually. Uh, what's your favourite song on this album? <clears throat> Gigantic. Yeah, fair, fair, fair. Yeah, it's fucking brilliant. It's great. It's fucking brilliant. Um, I, will... I think Bone, Bone Machine would probably be a close second as well, because yeah. Bone Machine's just weird as fuck. I think Bone it's great. Machine's wonderful. Like, brilliant. Yeah. Such a brilliant opening. Um, I'm going to acknowledge here, uh, I think the first half of the record is so fucking astonishing like not a single bad song on it i think the second half is is very good but not quite up to the standard of the first half would you agree with that yes well again going back to my vinyl um river euphrates actually closes the first side of the vinyl right so you flip it over so you always want to flip it over to get where is my mind Mm. um but I think it is a less engaging second half, even with Where Is My Mind, definitely. Yeah. I mean, we mentioned Tony's theme, which stands out just because it's kind of like a kids TV soundtrack theme. Um, Tony's The thing with Tony's theme, though, is it stands out more for Kim Deal's introduction that I just ate um, yeah. five minutes ago than it does for the song itself, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not that it's a terrible it's so- song. It's just and it's quick, isn't it? It's 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 less than two minutes. One minute so, fifty five you know. seconds. Yeah, yeah. So it's over very quickly, and it's a little. It, it's almost like an interlude rather than a full blown song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, th- th- um, there are even shorter songs on the album. I mean, Broken Faces one minute thirty three. I'm, yeah. I'm amazed is one minute forty five. The longest song on this album is uh, Vamos at four minutes twenty five. Yeah, um, we'll probably talk about Cactus in a minute, which I yeah. think is great um vamos you just mentioned i think is great as well uh i'm amazed i really like again short and sweet good um but yeah it's not as good a second half undoubtedly it's not as good a second half yes um i was also when separating this from come on pilgrim uh i was also struck by how poor an ending brick is red is uh not that i think brick is red is a bad song it's just as an ending for an album it just suddenly kind of ends yeah and the version that i'm used to listening to which has goes into caribou uh the last song is yeah well yeah it then goes into caribou but the last song of the whole thing which is like 22 tracks 23 tracks with come on pilgrim as well it's 22 is uh levitate me right which is a great ending like it's a brilliant ending uh to the whole thing so yeah it it was it was just weird to like (laughs) it was just weird that this just ended on brick is red i just thought that's not not a brilliant ending if i'm totally honest but no the record as a whole is just i mean 13 songs in what 34 minutes and seven seconds that basically just writes this blueprint for how alternative rock is going to sound for the next 30 years um it's just fucking brilliant this record i absolutely love it cactus i think the start of cactus sounds like get it on by t-rex which i always liked oh nice do you know what cactus is about I don't know. It's narrated by a prison inmate who requests his girlfriend smear her dress with blood and mail it to him. Because <laughs> of course yeah. it is. 
Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, I was going to say, um, Vamos. Now, I don't know if this is... I, I, I do really like Vamos, don't get me wrong. I don't know if it's because I've heard it so many times. They almost always play it live. It's usually a big kind of... Um, it's kind of Joey Santiago's guitar solo. Although, of course, yeah, because, yeah. It, because it's Pixies, it's not a guitar solo, really, in the traditional sense. It's him beating the shit out of his guitar and his amp, yeah. <laughs> basically. And it's it's awesome to see in the flesh at the time. Um, but I've heard Vamos so many times, it's kind of lost its impact for me a little bit, if I'm totally honest. Ah. Um, okay. I think that's... The, I mean, I've seen Pixies live probably about 10 times. So I think it's... And they probably played it every single time. So, you know, I've seen them play Vamos more than I've seen them play Where Is My Mind. So. Really? Yeah, yeah. They're wow. really... Pixies are very loose with their set lists. Um I remember. I can't f- imagine people being very happy if they didn't play "Where Is My Mind." Well, I, mean, it's, I you know, uh, it's 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 interesting. My so um, my friend Rob, hello Rob, uh, went to see the first date of the Brixton dates when they came back, and I went to see the last date, and we got "Where Is My Mind," and he didn't, <laughs> and he was really upset about that for a while, um, but. Uh, Pixies are one of these bands like Pearl Jam. They kind of change up their set every night. You can see them multiple times in one venue or follow them around a little bit and you'll get a totally different set every every night. Um, and yeah, sometimes I think they're just like, yeah, I just can't really be bothered to play Where's My Mind Tonight. You know, they're quite tricksy bastards like that. But I really like that about them. I like the fact that you go and see... That's why I've seen, I've seen them a lot because I never know exactly what I'm going to get when I go and see Pixies and there's been some really surprising things. I've seen Pixies in really tiny intimate venues and thought this is going to be amazing. I saw them at the Brixton electric like four years ago, not long ago at all. Oh wow. Fucking hell. like a thousand caps, something like that. Yeah. Why were um, they playing that? It's just a warm up. They were doing a warm up oh, okay. show for something. And I saw them again at Hammersmith Apollo, like three months later, which is literally five times the size. Um, and the Brixton Electric gig was the one that I was really excited for because, you know, it was the intimate show and it was easy, easily the weaker of the two, <laughs> you know. Um, so, yeah, they, they'll throw in all sorts of weird oddities and things and, and bits and pieces like that. But it always keeps it interesting and engaging and fun and unexpected. Um, Surfer Rosa was released in the UK by 4AD on March 21st, 1988, entering the UK indie chart the following week. It spent 60 weeks in the chart, peaking at number two. Uh, that's the UK indie chart, we should we should make clear. Until, yeah. August, until August of that year, it was only available in the US as an import. Surfer Rosa was certified gold by the Recording Industry Association of America in 2005. 17 years after its release i think certified gold is five hundred thousand copies yeah but it's i know it's closer now it's sold closer to eight hundred thousand, i believe okay surfer rosa gained the pixies acclaim in europe both melody maker and sounds gave surfer rosa their album of the year award American critical response was also positive yet more muted a reaction that persisted for much of the band's career 
As 4AD was an independent label, distribution in the United States was handled by British label Rough Trade Records. However, it failed to chart in either country. Only one single was released, a re-recorded version of Gigantic, which reached number 93 on the UK single charts. So they didn't get a massive commercial response at all on Surfer Rosa. Uh, and I think sometimes that's forgotten. I think sometimes the critical response is so enthusiastic and this album is so well regarded. I mean, when we go, when we get to the point where we're talking about um, these music periodicals and magazines where they view Surfer Rosa now in terms of influence and all that sort of thing, it's a shocking, you know, it's a shocking change. Um, and the UK music press response to Surfer Work Rosa was generally very positive. Q's Ian Craner wrote that what sets the Pixies apart are their sudden bursts of memorable pure pop melody and an intuitive understanding of song, song dynamics that makes for positive enjoyment. I don't know why enjoyment would be negative, but there you go. Uh, <laughs> yeah. The 13 tracks have short, uncomfortable titles, but lyrics that go beyond the usual black nihilism into personal enigma. Bloody your hands on a cactus tree, wipe them on your dress and send them to me from Cactus. And I'd swear a sense of fun. Not gelling their act together is almost certainly part of the whole point of Pixies, but if they're not careful, they could have a bright future ahead of them. Uh, enemies Mark Sinker said they forced the past to sound like them while Dave Henderson from Underground Magazine found the songs well-crafted, well-delivered sketches which embrace commercial ideals as well as bizarre left-field out-of-control moments. American music magazine Spin described it as a beautifully brutal and named Pixies their musicians of the year. Wow. In a less enthusiastic contemporary review for The Village Voice... Oh, here we go. Here we fucking go. Come on. Robert Crisco found the band's guitar riffs recognisable and their strong rhythms unique, but felt they had been overrated by critics who hailed them as the a merry indie find of the year. That word a merry indie has pissed me off. What is it? What, what, what does that mean? A merry indie? A merry indie. indie. It sounds, sounds like the dreadful name of like a southern bell or something. A merry indie. That's dreadful. In a 2003 review of the Pixies' 2002 self-titled EP, reviewing it a year late, uh, Crisco wrote that while he initially found Francis's fey and philosophically limited lyrics somewhat annoying, Surfer Rosa now seemed audaciously funny and musically prophetic. So he so you know, admits he got it wrong. He admits he admitted he got it wrong. So oh, of sorts. I mean, in a roundabout way. Mm. Um, at the end of 1988, Surfer Rosa was named one of the year's best albums on English critics year end lists. Independent music magazines, Melody Maker and Sounds named Surfer Rosa as their album of the year. Enemy and Record Mirror placed the album 10th and 14th respectively. Respectively. It did not, however, appear on any end-of-year list in the United States. A number of music magazines have since positioned Surfer Rosa as one of the quintessential alternative rock records of the 1980s. Stephen Hill, why yeah. do you think the Americans did not respond as enthusiastically to Pixies as we did? Um... 
I think that uh, Surfer Rosa and Doolittle as well are 90s albums released in the 80s. Yeah, that's a that's yeah, I, that's a great shout. I think that's got a lot to do with it, and I think when you look at Britain in the eighties, although we did have the sort of new romantics and the pop stars and you know Bros and all that kind of thing, and we did have the red braces yuppies, that that eighties was definitely a thing in Britain. Um, but so were the Smiths and the Cure, and so were some of the other bands that I'll probably talk about when we get into who influenced Pixies and stuff. I'm thinking like XTC, Gang of Four, um, that kind of thing was a little bit more um, acceptable in Britain, I think, than it was in America. I think it took America until Nirvana, basically, for all those great bands that they had um you know obviously nirvana changed so 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 much hugely and i think it was a right old slog for uh, those bands to get looked at i think a lot of them when you think of i'm not sure that husker do or sonic youth were really that fuss with whether they get on mtv or not but i definitely think britain in the 80s when i think about britain in the 80s i think of minor strikes and yeah. you know poll tax riots and stuff like that stuff that we've spoken about before i mean i've just been watching a new show um black monday that's on sky comedy with don Cheadle about the stock market crash in 1987 and the america you know the kind of wall street greed is good thing and i feel like that was much more of a much more of a thing in america than it was in britain i think it was still here in britain as well but i think there was a very very strong alternative reaction to that and i think america's strong alternative reaction to reaganomics and wall street and yuppies and that was probably more metallica and anthrax and slayer and those kind of things than it was pixies and college rock and it was always at at that point yeah it was always glossier wasn't it like yeah. Pixies have never struck me as a band as glossy, particularly on this record. They're not glossy in the slightest. I mean, Steve Albini produced it for fuck's sake. But there's a kind of, I think even the 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 the, the anti image of Pixies, you know, the fact that they didn't have any kind of image whatsoever, quite likely put off a lot of the American audience as well. I would have thought. Well, when you think of the kind of pre-Nirvana, late eighties precursors to alternative rock that the red hot chili peppers are quite pretty faith the more had mike Patton, quite wacky and colorful pretty james addiction like you said before Dave these kind of perry farrell yeah uh, yeah sexy la men you know um i don't know where pixies fit in amongst that well they don't um whereas stood next to robert smith <laughs> you know or morrissey i suppose morrissey was a bit of a sex symbol wasn't he he was um or ian curtis i know ian curtis has passed away by this point but when you think of those type of sean Ryder, someone like that do you know what i mean like yeah. we don't have we were much more used to seeing kind of spotty simpleton normals than america probably were i think yeah i think that's probably fair to say 
Um, there was an interesting sort of bust up with Steve Albini. Yeah, I've heard about this. Yeah, Albini did not uh, behave in a very nice way. In 1991, as Pixies were recording Trompe Le Monde, Albini described his impressions of Pixies during the recording of Surfer Rosa to the fan magazine Forced Exposure. He said, A patchwork pinch loaf from a band who at their top dollar best are blandly entertaining college rock. Their willingness to be guided by their manager, their record company and their producers is unparalleled. Never have I seen four cows more anxious to be led around by their nose rings. Except that I got to rewrite their songs with a razor blade, thought the drums sounded nice and managed to get Nate the Impaler on the LP as a cameo. I remember nothing about this album, although I thought it was pretty good at the time. It's relatively damning, isn't it? Wow. It's quite a thing to write as well. Like if you write something, mm. you write it down, you read it back and you go, yep, I'm happy with that. And then you submit it. it it's not something that just comes out of you. It, it, if it's something that you regret saying, you delete it. Yeah. Yeah, I'm surprised that he says that really. <clears throat> I, I was too. I was too. I didn't know about this until I did this research. But yeah. I guess in, I guess in 1991, Steve Albini... Uh, was you know still the king of underground punk rock yeah probably as as alternative rock was blowing up yeah and pixies were on tour with you too so uh yes they were by that point mm. yeah so um, i think you got to deliberately say you don't like it right quite possibly quite possibly and to give albini credit he did later apologize for his remarks saying I later said some unflattering things about the band in a fanzine and to this day I regret having done it. I think making that Pixies record was one of my formative experiences of my prof my professional attitude and I think I indulged a selfish part of my personality during the making of that record. I don't think that I regarded the band as significantly as I should have and I felt at the time like I was making a better record for the band. I recognise now that what I was doing was actually warping their record to suit myself. And I think that having gone through that experience and recognising that impulse in myself, I've been able to weed it out a little better, which means that I've gotten better over time at doing things in the band's best interest rather than doing things to amuse myself. And being perfectly frank, there were things that I did while making that record that I did to amuse myself, and I don't think it speaks well of me. I think that portrays a weak part of my personality at that time. So I don't know how much they liked their record when it was all over with. And I had a limited interaction with them afterwards, partly because I behaved like an ass. Mm. 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 Well, that's good that he recognises it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Hashtag cancel Steve Albini. He's <laughs> uh, he also said later on about them, I think in their earliest stages, they were still trying to discern how they wanted to play music rather than trying to do it well. I think they were still sort of getting their aesthetic together and it was more scattershot. After their first couple of albums, there started to be a discernible pixie style and sound, like there was a degree of de density and there was a degree of complexity and there was a kind of loping verse and then the shouting part. They hadn't really formed yet. Um, he also said, I respect them and I certainly have very high regard for Kim as a singer and I think Charles is a good guy. 
I have to say their music never really spoke to me. I never really liked their music in the way that I like my favourite band's music, like the Jesus Lizard, Television, Public Image, the Sex Pistols, the Ramones, Suicide, Craftwork, unique and brilliant bands that I loved. I never really got that level of interest with the Pixies. It's awkward for me to say it because I feel like in some way I'm peeing on their birthday cake here. I do genuinely like and respect the people in that band. I think David Lovering is a great drummer. I think Joey is an innovative guitar player. I think Kim is probably the best singer ever. And I think Charlie is a talented and unique guy. But the things that I like about that band, it's not really the music. Hmm. I was somewhat interesting. Yeah, I was somewhat surprised at that. And then I thought about it and I was like, well, I guess Pixies are a little bit too pop for Steve Albini. Um Yeah, but he mentions the Sex Pistols in that. I mean well, the Sex Pistols are way pop, really. Yeah. They are they are dressed up in a big bag of grit though that the pixies aren't pixies despite black francis's screams there isn't an awful lot of grit to pixies yeah i think it's a far <coughs> more honest i mean <laughs> there's 10 years between those two things so i think i guess you'd, you'd be looking at teenage steve albini and slightly more c- cynical mid-20s steve albini yeah and then a few years on after that into his 30s or whatever i guess because I now would look at the Pixies and go, well, you're far more honest about what you are than the Sex Pistols. And I, you know, I love the Sex Pistols, but yeah. then, you know, they, they aren't, they weren't the big bad wolf that you've, the, the, the world kind of made them out to be really. Sex Pistols. Yeah. No, no, not at all. Not at all. Surfer Roses had a number of accolades uh, bestowed upon it in the uh, intervening years. Um, Mojo in 2001 named it uh, as one of the ultimate CDs in their buyer's guide of 1000 CDs. Music Express from Germany put it at number two in the 50 best albums from the 80s. Wow. Pitchfork, who hate music. Uh, <laughs> put it at number seven in their top 100 albums of the 1980s. Wow. Pure Pop from Mexico uh, put it at number 22 in uh, their 100 greatest albums. They did that in 1993. So when the Pixies split up, I wonder if the Spanish lyrics has something to do with that. Yeah, maybe. Maybe they have quite a big following maybe. in South America. Because yeah, that, I don't know. I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, Q uh, put it into their 50 heaviest albums of all time uh that's an interesting one of course i did do you well i was gonna say do you think surfer rosa is a heavy album i think it's 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 kind of lyrically disorientating and uh it's got some abrasive parts to it would i say it is a heavy record worthy of being in the top 50 heaviest albums of all time absolutely not not even close there's too much there's too much silliness and there's too much, um, uh, or not even silliness, t- tongue in cheekness to it. And there's too much pop, like total pop melodies in it for it to be really, I think, genuinely heavy. I think you can have melodies and you can really make them quite dark, but something like Gigantic is that's a bright, sunny, big, lovely pop melody. Like yeah. that's, you know what I mean? And whereas my mind, I suppose, is. Quite, it could be quite a sort of somber, dour song, but it's still, 
quite beautiful and i don't really equate that with heaviness and certainly not you know can i think of 50 heavier records than this i can probably think of 500 yeah 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 i agree i think i mean there's an acerbicness to the surrealism that pixies bring to the table but it's also kind of it's not disturbing it's more funny than it is disturbing you know um even though the things that black francis is singing about really aren't funny (laughs) slicing up eyeballs and stuff like that it's not it's not funny it's really horrific and and i was going to save this for the next part but i'll just do this very quickly now as it's kind of related i went to see do little being performed in full for its 25th anniversary at brixton academy and the support act was uh the louis bonnell um surreal short film uh where he does slice up an eyeball with a razor blade right and there were people around me who fainted uh because it's really it is quite disturbing and it's a particularly disturbing thing to watch when you're packed in like sardines standing up with a pint in your hand as well i found it really unnerving watching it and i i'd seen bits and pieces of it but i'd never seen the full thing before and to see it before pixies played doolittle in full i mean that was really fucking cool because i'd always heard about this crazy ass film but never seen the thing and so to see it in that uh arena was just absolutely fantastic and then pixies came on and played they started with a bunch of b-sides if i recall from the doolittle era like into the white and weird at my school and manta ray and stuff like that um and then they went into the record the whole way through um but yeah so i think when you see that when you actually see those images they are actually quite frightening and quite disturbing but i think the way that they're presented by pixies is with a really cackling sense of humor which just makes it funny you know um i think in the hands of say the vocalist of daughters in the hands of alex marshall or in the mouth of alex marshall alex alexis marshall these lyrics uh would sound really dark really really disturbing really nasty properly nasty and scary but in black francis's hands they're just really funny they're just really funny it's uh, a bizarre kind of humor bizarre kind of gallows humor i guess mm. but i just think they're i think i think the pixies are fucking hilarious like his his mad cackle cracks me up every time i see it live like during the moss when he's like going ah, ah, ah. <laughs> it's just fucking hilarious um so yeah not not in the top 50 heaviest albums ever but you know it's i can see i can see why it would get into like a q list that said that they probably put rem's rem's monster at number one uh Um, i'd be interested to find that list actually i would be interested to see what what else is on that list i'm pretty sure i've seen it before and i'm like "Mm." there's some weird shit above it 
here it is. Okay, yeah, I found it. It's in no particular order. Um, Let There Be Rock by ACDC. Okay. Fair enough. Um, I don't really think ACDC have ever been heavy. Mm, no. What what songs has Let There Be Rock got on it? Well, the title track yeah. is the the main one. Um, let, I've not listened to it for ages. Uh, what else is on that record? Uh, let me Google it. I'm fucking shit that I have to Google it. And that my computer's so slow. Oh, Dog Eat Dog's on it. Yeah, of course. Um, Dog Eat Dog, Let There Be Rock. A whole lot of Rosie's on it. Oh, right. Hell Ain't A Bad Place To Be. It's not a not heavy, really, though, is it? Um, no. Classics by Apex Twin. Um, I'm not sure I've heard that. Big Black, which but Apex Twin can be very, very heavy yeah. and abrasive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Atomizer by Big Black. Yeah, that's fine. Uh, Junkyard by the Birthday Party. Okay, mm-hmm. I can see what they're saying there. Um, Master of Reality by Black Sabbath. That's probably the. I mean, I would say Sabotage is the heaviest one personally. Yeah. But anyway, yeah. Um, Dark Magus live at Carnegie Hall. Miles, um, Miles Carnegie is it? It's Carnegie, isn't it? Carnegie Hall by Miles Davis. Okay. Uh, not heard that, but. You know, Miles Davis can be fucking mental. Um, Machine Head by Deep Purple. Hmm. Not sh- don't really think that's particularly heavy. Uh, DJ 6666, Death Breathing. Don't know what that is, to be perfectly honest. Um, Half Mensch by Einster Zende Nalbalton, who we spoke about in the U2 special. Oh, yeah. Not heard that, but I imagine that's fairly uh, difficult to listen to. Um <laughs> Godspeed you, Black Emperor. Leve vos skinny fists come to antennas to heaven. How do you say your, that? Lift your skinny fists like antennas to heaven. Yeah. How come it says Lizzie? Is that how you say it? I think it's just spelled lift, isn't it? L-I-F-T. Well, it's got... They've put Lezes vos skinny fists, comma, antennas to heaven. Well, I don't know why they've done that. No, I don't know why they've done that. Um, that's why I was thinking, is that something I've never heard before? So I can't talk. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, that's... That's fair enough. Uh, Appetite for Destruction. Not for me. <sighs> no. Uh, Number of the Beast. Uh, yeah. yeah. No. Um, Psycho Candy by Jesus and Mary Chain. Uh, yeah, I can see that. Mm-hmm. King of the Delta Blues Singers by Robert Johnson. Now, I've never really listened much to Robert Johnson. I can sort of I've... understand that from the point of view of... Uh, more more the 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 story that was made up about robert johnson the whole selling his soul at the devil uh selling his soul mm-hmm. at the crossroads to the devil thing i think without that story i don't know if i would necessarily agree with that but yeah okay yeah killing joke by killing joke fair enough fine king crimson's red yeah i can see that uh self-titled corn album yeah okay fine blues for the red sun by caius yeah, I think it's okay. Fine. Yeah, physical graffiti by Led Zeppelin. I don't know if that's the heaviest Led Zeppelin I record. No, really. I don't. No, I don't think it's certainly not the heaviest. No, don't want to. You know, don't want a piece of your custard pie. Jeez, <laughs> not heavy, is it? Uh, Holy Bible by the Manics. Yeah, Antichrist Superstar by Marilyn Manson. I can see it. 
Death Crush by Mayhem. Not um, not Sonic the Mysterious, whatever that fucking okay. one's called. Um, weird one to pick. Kick Out the Jams by MC5. Yeah, fine. Master of Puppets. Okay. And Justice for All's heavier, I would say. Um, Tickle by Tikal by Method Man. Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, I mean, if you're going to pick a hip-hop record, I think there's certainly more extreme examples of it mm. than that. Uh, Psalm 69 by Ministry. That's fair enough. Yeah. Hell on Earth by Mob Deep. I, yeah, I can kind of see that. Overkill by Motorhead. Yeah. Isn't Anything by My Bloody Valentine. I would have thought Loveless would be the obvious one, but mm. fair enough. Yeah. Um, From Enslavement to Obliteration by Napalm Death. Uh, I'm glad they haven't picked Scum. I think From Enslavement is a better record, personally. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So fine. Uh, Downward Spiral. Yeah. In Utero. Yeah. Vulgar Display of Power. Uh, it's not the heaviest Pantera record. It, comfortably not the heaviest Pantera record. Great Southern Train Kill. Great Southern Train Kill is yeah. far, far, far more extreme yeah. and heavier. And I would say Far Beyond Driven is as well. So there yeah. you go. Yeah. Uh, Surfer Rosa, as discussed um exterminator by primal scream if you like i mean if you like mm, mm. I, I think you're desperate to put primal scream in there yeah 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 mm. but that is probably their heaviest record um metal box by public image limited fair enough the first rage against the machine album fine the diary by scarface i can't say that i've heard that but again um yeah, well, I've not heard it. Uh, Roots by Sepultura. Yes. Okay. Yep. Rain in Blood by Slipknot. Uh, by Slayer, sorry. By Slipknot. A Slipknot by Slipknot as well. There's the next one. Hence why right. I just got those two mixed up. But Rain in Blood, yes. Slipknot, I would say Iowa's heavier, heavier and Iowa would have been out by now because they mentioned something that has come out after that, I think. Uh, so, yeah. Um, uh, Slipknot. Sonic Youth Ev- Evolved by Sonic Youth. That's quite a loud one. There's quite a few Sonic Youth records you could pick. Louder Than Love by Soundgarden? Mm. Hmm. I don't think so. No. I don't think so. Well, it's got a gun on it and stuff like that. But even then, no, I don't think so. Not for me. I think the fact that there's not an Alice in Chains record in there, but they've picked Louder Than Love by Soundgarden. I mean, yeah, if you're going to pick one of those bands, like Dirt, it's clearly the heaviest one right yeah uh suicide by suicide i think that's a fine shout um cop by swans yeah i mean i think swans arguably have more extreme i don't know when this list was made so you know i think we could have gone like the glowing man and stuff but yeah um funhouse by the stooges yes pre-millennium tension by tricky i can <laughs> you know uh, yeah uh, that's quite a dark record yeah i mean there's a lot of other things from that era and that genre that you could have picked that's not that but anyway Mm. um the natural born killer soundtrack fine Mm. okay um welcome to hell by venom and neil young and crazy horse weld they can be quite loud Uh, welds pretty bonkers it's like feedback for like 40 minutes or so um 
but there you go. So that's the 50. Okay. It, it's not awful, but there's some fucking weird, bizarre Very weird choices, choices in, in there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Just to carry on with the accolades, Rolling Stone uh, put it 317th in the 500 greatest albums of all time in 2016. Spin said it was the sixth uh put it put it sixth in their top 100 albums of the last 20 years mm. um treble put it at number one for 1988 in their best albums of the 80s by year and slant magazine put it at number 36 in best albums of the 1980s um let's go down to some of the album of the year list in 1988 we have to go we usually go to like kerrang uh metal hammer and rock sound or something like that as uh or enemy or something like that mm. um but we for pixies we have to go to uh melody maker enemy and uh record mirror and record mirror is the first one i'm going to start with so their number one album of 1988 was public enemy it takes a nation of millions to hold us back i think that's fair enough yep. number two the wonder stuff the eight-legged groove machine I quite like the. I mean, I remember the Wonder Stuff. Um, uh, Size of a Cow was a big hit single. I don't think that's on that record. I think that's the nineties. Might be. Okay. Um, but yeah, Wonder Stuff. They headlined Reading in the really? early nineties. Nineteen ninety. Yeah, they did a song with Vic Reeves. They did Dizzy with with Vic Reeves. Vic Reeves and the Wonder Stuff. Okay. Remember that? No, <laughs> I don't okay. remember the Wonder fair Stuff enough. at all. But um, right. fair enough uh dinosaur jr's bug that's a great record number three uh green by rem at number four another great record introspective by the pet shop boys don't know that one but you do i'm assuming yeah good it's not their best okay it's not their best but it's pretty good uh joint fifth with pet shop boys is prefab sprout from langley park to memphis okay uh fair enough fair Prin enough prince's love say is number seven don't know that one uh no i don't either uh tender prey by nick cave and the bad Seasons number eight a very okay. celebrated nick cave record um it doesn't do an awful lot for me tender prey i have to admit but it's got the mercy it's got the mercy seat on it which is one of his yeah. biggest songs yeah 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 i can't remember the last time i listened to that yeah it's, it's decades it's, it's it's okay um the go-betweens with 16 lovers lane at nine don't know them mm -hmm. Ultra Vivid Scene with UVS at 10. Uh, this is an interesting one. Fields of the Nephilim by... Uh, well, the Nephilim by Fields of the Nephilim. Nephilim, isn't it? Nephilim, yep. Mm -hmm. uh, joint 11th with Black Comedy. Don't know. Number Don't know who Black Comedy is. Number 13 is Morrissey, Viva Hate. That's something that he'd learn to espouse as he got older, isn't it? Yeah. Um, here's an interesting one. Joint 14th. The Pixies, Surfer Rosa, and Talk Talk, Spirit of Eden. Wow. Yeah. That's cool. Now... I mean, they both should be much higher. They both but... should be much higher. And also, man, how do you... Uh, I would personally struggle to pick my favourite out of Talk Talk and Pixies with those two records. I'd really struggle... I don't think I would, to be honest. But anyway, no, okay. not th this particular record and that particular record. I 
don't think I would struggle to pick my favourite. Yeah, fair enough. All right, okay. Uh, number 16, the Gypsy Kings. Gypsy Kings, 17 Ooh. voice. Yeah, weird one. <laughs> uh, 17 voice of the Beehive. Let it, let it be. Let it be. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know that band, but that's not a great name for an album, is it? No. Uh, joint 18th, Bon Jovi with New Jersey. Uh, and Susie and the Banshees with Peep Show. Together at last. <laughs> yeah, finally. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And then uh, number 20 is Micro Disney, 39 minutes, which I've never heard of. Don't know if you know that one. Me No, I don't know. Okay. Uh, the Enemy did a top 50. I'll do the top 20 and then I'll uh, take, uh, I'll do highlights from 20 to 50. Uh, number one takes Nation of Millions, Public Enemy. Number two, Irish Heartbeat by Van Morrison and the Chieftains. Okay. I yeah. mean, the Chieftains are wank, but... Okay. Don't mind Van Morrison. I don't mind Van sometimes. Morrison. No. Uh, number three, R.E.M., Green. Number four, nice. Morrissey, Viva Hate. Not so nice. Number five, the Todd Terry Project to the Batmobile Let's Go. <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay. It's not stood the test of time, that one, has it? Better album than Surfer Rosa, according to the enemy. Number mm. six, The Pogues, If I Should Fall From Grace. Okay. Number seven, Love Sexy by Prince. Number eight, Introspective by Pet Shop Boys. Mm -hmm. Number nine, Daydream Nation by Sonic Youth. Right. Kind of surprising we've not seen that until now, but yeah. I was wondering if that was going to pop up somewhere. Yeah, yeah. Uh, not my favourite Sonic Youth album, but one that um, one considered one of the classics, certainly. Yeah, yeah. And now, then, I've always struggled to get into that record. I know it is considered, mm. I think for a period, and it was certainly like it was the one that I was always told to go and get. I think it was the first Sonic Youth album that I went and bought. I know a friend of mine had a t-shirt with the album cover on when I was at school. Yes, it was the first one and, I bought as well. Yeah, but I think, you know, Goo and the Washing Machine one is... They're both better. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, Pixie's Surfer Roses nestled there at number 10, uh, which is not bad. Mm. Um, KRS One Boogie Down Productions, by all means necessary, is number 11. <laughs> right. I've not heard that. Don't, no, I don't, but I kind of want to hear a band called KRS One Boogie Down Productions. Uh, number 12 is Happy Mondays Bummed. Uh, 13 is The Sugar Cubes Life's Been Good 14 Dinosaur Junior Bug 15 The Fall I Am Curious Orange Right uh, Number 16 The self-titled album From The House of Love Don't know that Oh the House of, Yeah The House of Love Were um, on Creation They were the first Ever band on Creation Records Oh okay Okay Mm-hmm uh number 17 and 18 have a brilliant uh bit of symmetry let's see if you can figure out what it is nick cave's tender prey and momus's tender pervert <laughs> the prey and the pervert the together at the prey and the pervert uh number 19 the wonder stuff the eight-legged groove machine again yep and number 20 is my bloody valentine isn't anything um, couple of highlights. U2, Rattle and Hum is 23. Mm -hmm. Tracy Chapman's debut album, Brilliant Records, 24. Uh, Follow the Leader by Eric B and Rakeem is number 29. 
Brian Wilson by Brian Wilson is number 32. The Cocteau Twins, Blue Bell Knoll is 33. Uh, Leonard Cohen. Well, it obviously gets a bit... You yeah, had a little period there where it was like, whoa, what is yeah, this? Yeah. Leonard Cohen is uh, 42 with I'm Your Man. KD Lang. God, I haven't thought about KD Lang for ages. It's number 44 uh, with Shadowland. Uh, Iggy Pop is number 48 with Instinct. And number 50, little band called Napalm Death from Enslavement to Obliteration. Oh, good. Good to see them. <laughs> popping up it's great but very just so unexpected on the enemy list but it is great well they, they were on the front cover of the enemy back I don't, yeah i know sort of scum. it was that era was it it was um the like yeah just after scum okay well so which, scum was scum was 87 yeah so it would have been from from so, liberation fair enough fair enough um so finally let's do the melody maker End of year critic list. This is a top 30, although I think I'll only do the top 20. Um, Surfer Rosa by the Pixies at number one. Hooray. Uh, Life's Too Good by Sugar Cubes at number two. Isn't okay. Anything by My Buddy Valentine, number three. Green REM, number four. 69 by A.R. Kane at number five. Do you know anything about don't know that? that? Don't don't know anything about that. Don't mind. And you said it in quite an accusatory way as well. <laughs> what do you know about this? <laughs> uh, I don't know anything. <laughs> Bluebell Knoll by Cocteau Twins at number six. Hairway to Stephen by the Butthole Surfers at number seven. <laughs> An album close to your Fucking heart. It, I, it, the Butthole Surfers. Like it's amazing that they can come up with worse titles than their actual <laughs> band name. <laughs> oh. uh, number eight is "All About Eve" by "All About Eve." Don't know those. Um, all about. God, I'm quite surprised that got that high up nearby. Shit, like, but by then I don't no, know. Really maybe it would have done. Yeah, they're they're not good. All about Eve, by the way. They're no. not good. Okay. No. Um. Fisherman's Blues by the Waterboys at number nine. Bug by Dinosaur Jr. at number 10. House of Love self-titled album at number 11. Love Sexy by Prince at number 12. Vivisectvi by Skinny Puppy at 13. Oh. Interesting one there. Um, Spirit of Eden by Talk Talk at 14. Again. Good. Uh, so Far So Good. So What by Megadeth at number 15. <laughs> It's not a great Megadeth album, right? Is it? It's no, it's it's not. But bar that one brilliant song on it, um, for Cliff Burton, in my darkness, darkness, yeah, within darkness, within yeah. my pain. I thought you were going to say within that work. That's the one with the cover of um, Anarchy in the UK yeah. on it, isn't it. Yeah, which is awful, awful. But there you go. Uh, number fifteen, next to uh, Talk Talk, where Megadeth have always mm. belonged. Um, Jane Sibbery with the Walking at number sixteen don't know okay nick cave for tender prey at number 17 thin white rope within the spanish cave at 18 you're making that up <laughs> I'm, I'm i promise you i'm not thin white rope that's the band name and in the spanish oh. cave is the, the album. never heard of them it's going to be my next pick for classic albums um number 19 appears to be a live album by revolting cox live you goddamn son of a bitch Okay. 
Uh, not heard that. No, neither have I. I've heard a little bit of Revolting Cocks, but um, not a lot. No, I'm not going to bother with that. Uh, no. 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 <laughs> Number 20 is Pixie's label mates and tour mates as well, actually, throwing muses with House Tornado. Okay. Do you know much about throwing muses? No, we were going to review their... They've got they had a new album out a couple of weeks ago and we were yeah. thinking about reviewing it, weren't we? And we yeah. didn't get round to it. I've never really they're a bit like them and Red Cross are another band. I've never really they were one of those there's a whole bunch of those bands from the sort of late eighties and nineties who just sort of missed the boat on getting really big, who I never listened to. Yeah, yeah. Um I don't know loads about throwing muses. In fact, I've read more about throwing muses in the last week and a half than I have probably in my life because Throwing Muses did take Pixies out on tour with them uh, after Surfer Rosa. Um, it was a European tour with fellow Bostonians and label mates Throwing Muses before beginning a tour of North American states. During this time, Black Francis, the group's frontman and principal songwriter, began to write new material for a future album with songs such as Dead, Hey, Tame and There Goes My Gun emerging through the course of the year. Versions of the newly composed songs were recorded during several sessions for John Peel's radio show in 1988, while a live recording of Hey appeared on a free EP circulated with a 1988 edition of Sounds. Um, and that's where we're going to sidle off into patron land before starting Doolittle, which is, spoiler alert, the best album Pixies ever released. There, I've said it. I would agree with that. Yes. Do you, is that it? <laughs> that's the end, is it? Well, well, we're doing Doolittle next, but that's the end of the Surfer Rosa bit, yeah. Do you not want to sum up Surfer Rosa? Oh, yeah, I can sum up Surfer Rosa if you'd like. Well, you should. You know, you've, you've claimed it's a classic album. That's how we usually sort of end the thing. We just go, that's it. Then they went on tour with Throw Muses, the end. No, you're North's right. Gonna Sorry. Go, people are going to go, oh, that ended really abruptly. A bit <laughs> like Server Rosa, to be fair. I kind of planned, yeah, no, you're, you're absolutely right. I, I kind of planned um, my sum summation bit, which I have at the end of Doolittle, but we haven't done a double for so long, I forgot that we do a summation at the end of the first one as well. Of each record, yeah. <laughs> I really, I'm quite tired. Uh, mm. <laughs> let me just bring up the trap listing again. Hold on. I can do it. I can do a bit of it if you want. <laughs> Okay, well, how about we go into this by me saying, Steve, tell me why you think Surfer Rosa is a classic album, and then we'll go from there. I think this is... Can I do that properly? Um, so, <laughs> let me do that. Yeah, go on So, Steve, tell me why you think that Surfer Rosa by Pixies is a classic album. Well, I'm glad you've asked me that, Renfrey. Um, <laughs> uh, unprompted by anyone. Uh, <laughs> <sighs> <laughs> um I, th I think this is, uh, I mean, we've sort of said at the start, the the formation, the bones, the the building blocks which people needed to create an entire language of alternative music is kind of invented here. There are definitely tons of bands who have influenced what alternative rock is and what alternative rock became. And, you know, some of those predate this album by a long way shit like the beatles or the ramones or you know the the stooges um some of them came out around the same time 
albums by The Fall or by The Gang of Four or, you know, by Sonic Youth or R.E.M. are similar records. Um, I'm not sure anyone turned up so fully formed with an mm. idea which is just... It seems so obvious now. It seems so obvious. There's yeah. there's something that um, that I always said about doing stand-up is that people like Michael McIntyre or Lee Mack or Russell Howard or those sort of people, those kind of quite derided mainstream stand-up comedians, they tend to get derided by people who think, well, that's really obvious and that's really easy. Um, but they thought of it and you didn't. Yeah. And it's not actually as easy to go, let's do pop music, but let's make it really heavy. Let's do something really quiet and let's do it really loud. Before this, um, no one was doing that. And I mean, we haven't really spoke about, I know we're going to speak about something who kind of had did that before, but nobody had turned up and done it, have done it to the extent and to the quality that Pixies did it here. Yeah. Like they turned up fully formed. And when you've written, you know, a whole raft of songs and shit like Gigantic and Where Is My Mind come out, like within months of you being a band, like your bass player hadn't even picked up a bass guitar before. And within a year, she's singing Gigantic. Like, yeah, that's unbelievably impressive. And, uh, I, you know, like we said at the start, I'm not sure that we can ever go, oh, well, we really felt the impact of Surfer Rosa at the time. Unfortunately, we haven't. And the reason we haven't is because Pixies hit upon such a brilliantly simple yet genius idea that yeah. it actually became really easy for loads of people to go and rip it off. Um, but yet none of those people, the fact that the only band I can think of that really really feel like the pixies are nirvana and they as discussed in some senses in some cases don't either mm. i mean that's that says it all to be really have a really really simple idea but to just sound like you yeah is a really amazing difficult trick and i think people underestimate how difficult a trick that is and ultimately you know there's nothing you know, this is not like talking about OK Computer where you go, oh, you know, the innovative recording techniques and the, the way these songs are structured and the, you know, the the things that we'd never heard before. These are just fucking brilliant songs. Yeah. They're brilliant, weird, funny, disturbing, odd little quirky personalities of their own, each each and every one of them. Um it it flies by this record. It's fucking brilliant. It really does, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's short as it is. It's less than 35 minutes, but it you kind of press play and then it feels like it's over 10 minutes later, you know, yeah. which I think is an amazing kind of, uh, an amazing thing to say about a record to make time kind of dilate that much. Um, I think we're going to talk about dynamics a lot more on Doolittle. I decided to save it for Doolittle just because I think the dynamics are even more pronounced on Doolittle. But certainly it was something that was... It's it's hard to even imagine 
what modern rock music would sound like without those dynamics. I wang on about dynamics all the fucking time because to me it really is vital for making music sound engaging and interesting and keeping your attention basically and the fact that pixies for the first time kind of took those dynamics consciously and consciously used them as part of the songwriting we are going to name some examples of bands who did the loud quiet loud thing in the second part silence patron five pounds um but a lot of those bands who did it at that time it kind of felt like more of a happy accident rather than them specifically going well this will be the quiet verse and this will be the loud chorus um but it it felt far more uh it felt like the pixies were actually doing that as a part of the song um but they were actually using it as a technique and mm. I don't think bands felt like they were doing that before. And then when you just have the quality of those songs, I mean, Bone Machine, River Euphrates, uh, Gigantic, Where Is My Mind. They're just such massive, massive songs. Like such a brilliantly acerbic, strange, odd, quirky pop songs. Yeah. Um, brilliantly dashed out in barely any time at all you know i mean most of these i'd say the average length of the song on surfer rose is probably two and a half minutes and it just goes at such a pace and throws so much at you in that time it's an absolutely marvelous record and steve albini was wrong <laughs> he was i wouldn't say it very much but he was wrong he was definitely so uh he's definitely wrong so there you go um that was our chat on surfer rosa by the pixies we are now going to traverse over to patreon.com forward slash riot act podcast where you can listen to us talk about the follow-up to this record do little um we very much hope that you decide to do that thanks very much for listening we'll see you over there cheery bye cheery bye